Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. On today's episode, we're going to have David. David came from a long history of abuse in foster homes, both physically and mentally, and has managed to overcome and become a phenomenal father and husband himself. Hear how he's doing all of this, how he's staying healthy, how he's staying fit, and how he's doing everything one day at a time. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, David. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, do you want us to call you David or Dave today? Uh, whatever you want. All right, cool. We'll just roll with it then. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, uh, what you do for a living, any of that cool stuff? Okay, well, my name is David Hess, and I currently live in Lansing, Michigan. Um, I'm from Lake Worth, Florida, but uh, I, I work at General Motors. I, I'm an assembly line worker. I'm, I'm married. I have, uh, well, <laughs> I have two kids and then my wife has four. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do a podcast as well. Yes, called, absolutely. You do called which rising above. And it's, it's a great podcast as well. Um, which is actually going to get me into exactly what I was about to talk about right now. Um, now for our listeners out there, if you've heard a lot of these episodes, um, everyone except one of our guests, uh, my first guest, a good friend of mine, Evan is the only person on this show so far that is not personally an alcoholic or a drug addict. Um, however, not everybody that is struggling with, or not everybody in recovery is an alcoholic or a drug addict. Um, there are a lot of wide spectrums. Um, mental health is a huge thing. A lot of people grew up with, um, abuse in the home, whether sexual or physical, there is just a lot of stuff that people have had to overcome. Um, and just because they chose not to bury their problems in a bottle or a drug doesn't mean that their problems are any less severe. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of times these people are just as fucked up. Um, they just deal with it in different ways. And, you know, these are the same people, and I'm not speaking for David because I, I haven't heard him say anything like this, but these are the same people that struggle with suicidal thoughts sometimes because of all the stuff that they had to deal with. And then, you know, you might have someone who might take their own life, um, who never picked up a drug or a drink because that wasn't their issue. And that's just not where they found their solace. So with that being said, today's story is going to be one of those that is not fueled by alcohol or drugs. Um, but just by a lot of both physical and mental abuse um, through Dave's childhood. And I personally had a chance to um, tell my story to him yesterday. Actually, we recorded for his podcast, which will be coming out soon. And I'll keep the listeners in the loop as well. Um, should be rise- should be next uh, next Monday. Cool. Uh, so rising above podcast. And we'll definitely have some links in, in this when it comes out as well for everybody to be able to follow um, everything that David has going on. Um, and then also after that interview yesterday, I had a chance to actually listen to his story and man, it's powerful. It's, it's sad. And, um, but it's happy as well at the end, because again, I say this every episode, spoiler alert, 
everybody on these interviews has a way better ending. So that, that's the beautiful thing about this podcast is there we always end the second half of the podcast on a on a positive note. We're talking about what you're doing to stay healthy. We're talking about what you're doing to stay fit, where your mindset is now, where your goals are. Um, but before we get into all the fun stuff, we always have to talk about the negative stuff because uh, that's that's what people are. They need to hear that sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times that can help our listeners identify and know that they're not the only one. Um, and it's just a prime, prime example of what this group is about, because it's not just about alcoholics and addicts. We're just a lot of us are struggling with different types of recovery. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to give the floor to you, David, because normally we would talk about a normal childhood until you pick up your first drink. But um, <laughs> unfortunately for you, shit just starts from right away. So right away. I'm just going to I'm going to I'm just going to hand it over and just start telling your story, brother. All right. Well, first off, thanks for uh, having me on your platform. I really appreciate it. Um, so for me, my life kind of started in Florida. Like I had said before, I was born and raised in Florida. I lived there till I was nine years old. Um, but uh, my mom had had met my dad at a very young age and she was still in high school and she had she got pregnant with my brother. And then a year later, got pregnant with me. I believe she was 17 16 17 years old uh when she first got pregnant with him and then 18 when she got pregnant with me <clears throat> and i believe my dad was like he was an older guy so he was like 24 <laughs> um he's he's an illegal immigrant from honduras and uh he's an alcoholic um and he was very abusive to her and throughout throughout the years that they were together, um, there was several times where he would, you know, beat her in front of us. Um, there was one, at one point he had beat her so bad. I don't know what the situation was, but he'd beat her so bad. He was like pulling out of the driveway and he had hold, a hold of her hair and he was dragging her down the driveway. And I guess she ended up in the hospital um, and she almost died. I'm sorry. And you were how old? I probably, I was, I was under four. I don't know okay. how old exactly. I don't remember that situation. Okay. Um, but that's what I was told. Wow. So, so she recovered, got out of the hospital and she went back to my dad and, um, eventually she ended up leaving, leaving him. And I, I, I remember this, and this is probably one of my earliest memories is I remember leaving our house on foot. I think she like packed a bag for us kids and, we just, we just started walking. And um, I remember being like, I don't know, four, four or five years old thinking, where, where the heck are we going? <laughs> because it seemed like we had no purpose or no location to, to end in. So we just start walking and we end up coming across this guy who was outside on his front porch. And he ended up talking to my mom and they, they hit it off pretty well. And next thing you know, we're living with him. And I again remember being a, a young kid thinking this is strange like we're we don't even know this guy and we're going to we're going to be living with him. Yeah, that's well, insane. Yeah, it's kind of kind of strange. Come to find out um my mom knew him. Uh but I think played it at the time like she didn't know him. So, um we move in, we we're staying there with him and he ended up become he's an alcoholic as well. Um he uh he was a severe alcoholic, actually. He was 
extremely abusive to us kids and to my mom um, throughout the now, years. Does he, does he know he's an alcoholic? Is this something he says, or is this just like you can witness the actions and it's pretty obvious? Well, I don't know if he ever said it. He's now dead, but um, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, he, I just just based on his his um, he, I don't I don't know if he's ever said it. I haven't talked to him really as an adult. I didn't mean to put you on um, the spot with that question. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. But I mean, I just remember like on the weekends he'd come home from work, or even on on the weeknights he'd bring home a twelve pack and it, it'd be gone. Um, and on the weekends it was just constant drink. Con he was constantly drinking. So. Um, so throughout the years, he became abusive to, to us kids and then to my mom. Um, and it all kind of started with my brother. Uh, this is kind of where like our, my life kind of unraveled a little bit from at that age. I was, I think I was eight, eight years old. My brother was nine. My brother, Michael and I had got into a fight and I don't remember what we were fighting about, but him and I kind of got into a hitting match. And my mom had told my stepdad to go in there and handle, handle the situation. So he goes in there and he just starts beating on my brother from the back of his neck all the way down to his ankles. And, you know, my brother's crying and screaming. And, um, of course, he's out of school for two weeks because he's black and blue from the back of his neck down to his ankles. And yeah, and I remember going to school and his teacher is asking me, you know, where's, where's your brother at? And I'm like, he's, he's sick. I was told to, you know, lie and say he's sick. So um, eventually a family friend was like, told my mom, if you don't report this to the police, you know, I'm going to, and you're going to end up losing your kids. So she went and reported it. And, you know, they, they're like, you know, you need, they took pictures of my brother and they're like, you need to, you know, get out of the house. You need to leave him. Um, you need to go where, wherever you have family. And it happened to be Michigan. Uh, that's where my aunt had a couple, I had a couple of aunts up here. And, uh, so we went home that night and packed up our van. They arrested our stepdad. And, uh, while he was in jail, we packed up the van and, and we left and my mom had $400 to her name and she had four kids all, all under 10. So I was eight, my brother was nine and my, my younger brother was like four and my sister was like two. And I remember just, you know, we didn't have much money. So we were just eating like, I remember dry hard packets of ramen noodles, like all the way up. <laughs> it was the most disgusting thing ever. Oh man! Um, but it was an experience, you know, like I remember kind of being excited about it. You know, we're living out of this van. Like it's, I don't know. It was, interesting i guess as um, a kid there's like a weird this isn't that bad this is kind of cool when you don't realize like when you're not the parent that has to figure out how to provide for the children you know it's right just, it's it's different novelty it's like oh cool we're sleeping in a car it's like you don't <laughs> realize like how below the poverty line and how bad you're struggling at that point exactly so we came to michigan and come to find out like my family members weren't able to take us in to help us out. So we ended up staying in a, a homeless shelter. Uh, and I think we were there for like four or five months and uh, they eventually kicked us out of there because uh, I believe my mom wasn't doing what, you know, that she was supposed to be doing as far as like progressing her life, getting a, a, like a job and 
whatnot. Um, I don't really know what all the stipulations were on that, but we ended up getting kicked out of there. And then that left us homeless. So we then. And how old the, are you at this point? I was, I was still eight. All right. So, so I, I just want to remind our listeners now you are eight years old and we've already heard of your father physically abusing, having to be arrested, having to see that as an alcoholic, having to move to another state, having to sleep in a van and then having to move again. And this is all before you're even eight years old. Like yeah. this, this is unbelievable. Like kids should be, you know, out playing with their friends and they should be doing this and that. And by like eight years old, you're eating dry ramen noodles and getting ready to go on your next road trip. And you don't even realize like where you're at in life at this point, because what kind of eight year old realizes how bad things are at this point. So it's, I just need and want our, our listeners to understand, like, this is, this is a lot of trauma for a young child. And he's not even, you can count on two hands, how, how many years he's even been alive at this point. It's, this is not okay. It's, it's great to hear the story and to share it with other people. So they know that they're not the only one, but shit like this is not okay. And if you know, anybody struggling with shit like this, stand up, say something to help these kids. 100%. But yeah, keep going. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, so we, we ended up getting kicked out of the homeless shelter. We go to the red cross. They end up sticking us in a hotel for a couple of weeks. Um, and this was like throughout the summer. So we moved to Michigan, I believe in May of that year. And I, I think it was 2001 when we moved to Michigan. So it was in May and we spent the summer in the homeless shelter, I think got kicked out in August. So like for part of August and September, we were in a hotel. Well, somebody had reported to uh, social services that, you know, we, we weren't, we wouldn't have a roof over our head. We were staying in a hotel, whatever. Um, my brother and I were going to school. So it could have been, you know, the school that reported it. I don't know. Um, but meanwhile, while we're staying in the hotel, my mom doesn't have a job. So she doesn't have any money other than what like the Red Cross has donated to her. And so at nighttime, the only, or the only meal we would eat was at nighttime. And we'd go to the homeless shelter, downtown Lansing. And I remember just, I think I kind of talked about it in my podcast. I remember standing in line, looking around at all these people who are clearly homeless or have some sort of mental illness to where it puts them on the streets. And, you know, they, they have the ragged clothes and just long scraggly beards and long hair. And, uh, I just remember our beards were cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember, you know, looking at them like, wow, these people have, have it hard. Like, I just remember thinking that in reality, they're probably looking at us like, man, that's sad that these kids are in this situation. And, uh, so, you know, I remember doing that for a couple of weeks and then finally one day social services comes to, to our school pulls my brother and I out of class and brings us to the principal's office. And they're, you know, explaining to us that we're going to be going into care and that, um, you know, we're, we're no longer going to be under the care of our, our mother and she can't provide for us. And, you know, I just, I don't remember the whole, the whole, you know, uh, the whole meeting. I just, I just remember like, I couldn't even like fathom what was happening. I didn't know what my life was going to bring at that point. I just, I just knew that life was going to be different and I was, I was scared and I was crying. I just, I remember like wondering if I, I was wondering if I was ever going to see my, my siblings again. And so, 
you know, she then took us to the agency. And I also kind of talked about this in the podcast where when we got to the agency, we're walking up to the agency and they have these oh, stairs. Yes, this. I know, I know exactly this, this story. <laughs> it broke my heart when I heard this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you often hear like foster kids talk about the black tra trash bags. And it's what they mean by that is all their belongings are in the black trash bags. And so when I talked about this, I didn't even really realize that. Um, that, that, that a lot of foster kids refer to that. But I remember when we got to the agency, we're walking up and there was our black trash bags full of our clothes and our clothes were just kind of like thrown all over the steps. They were trying to air them out and whatnot because I guess there was cockroaches in them. And that was the most embarrassing. And like, I just felt so, I guess, belittled in a sense. I don't really know the right word to use for that, but I just I think that's appropriate. You know, all our, all our personal belongings, like our underwear and whatever was just laying out for anybody to see. On and a lighter our, note, hopefully you knew how to wipe properly back then. They didn't have to see some <laughs> skid marks on them. <laughs> I hope, I hope so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just remember feeling so exposed. And so we go in, we meet our new foster parents. We leave with our new foster families. And uh, I was put in the home with my younger, my younger brother, who was my half brother, and my older brother, Michael, uh, he's my full brother. He was put in a separate foster home. And then my younger sister was, she was put in another separate foster home. I don't know why they did it the way they did, but I was with my younger brother, which, you know, it's probably a good thing. Um, and so at that point, you know, we're in foster care and we're going every Monday to see my mom for visits. Now I want to stop okay. you here for a second. When they separate okay. a family like this, cause I know nothing about the foster system. Okay. When they separate a family like this, um, are you remaining regular contact with your other siblings that aren't living with you? Are they providing you? Can you, are they helping you physically see them? Or is this just like kind of like a kid in juvie detention where you're just like hoping and praying for the best and not hearing from them for months at a time? Um, well, I think it depends. And I, I think it depends a lot on the foster family and what they're willing to go, go to, to, you know, allow kids to see each other. Um, as far as like scheduled times through the agency for you to see your siblings, you have a visit every week that you would, you know, go see your siblings and you'd see your, your parents. Um, and so you have an hour visit every single week and that's it. Uh, but if your foster family or your adopted family wanted to make sure that you see your, your siblings outside of, outside of that meeting, then it's up to them to like arrange that, which I think, I think that's part of the flaws in the system is that, um, kids need to need to have their siblings, especially because you have that bond, you know, growing up. And then when you, when you separate that, that can cause all kinds of depression and, you know, anxiety and worries that, you know, foster kids shouldn't have to worry about. Now, I also want to touch on something that you brought up um, in your podcast, in which I just kind of want to reiterate this again, because um, I know nothing about the foster system. So for our listeners, keep in mind, when I say this, I'm just transferring something that I heard, and just trying to help another person find an answer. So after prefacing that, um, I know you had some thoughts on why people are separated, why there's things, and you even, 
I don't want to say called out, but you even questioned and said, if there's anybody that feels differently, please reach out and you would love to talk to them and you would love to be kind of proven wrong. Go ahead and uh, enlighten us on what you meant by that. Um, well, I, I have a specific feeling towards the foster system and it's, it's based on my negative perspective of it. So it's, I guess, biased in a sense. Um, I since then have talked to a social worker who, you know, um, who works directly with foster children and she, she kind of changed my mind a little bit as far as the way things work, but I still believe that there's flaws in the system. And that's what I meant by there's, there's a lot of flaws in the system. Absolutely. And I'm glad you were at least able to get someone that was able to hear that and talk to you about that as well, because this isn't like, you're not just reading an article and you're like, Oh, I'm seeing this is, this is what's happening. And this is screwed up. And you're voicing your opinion. Like you live this shit. You are separated from your own siblings. So it's not like, Oh, I think this is what happened. Like this happened to you. So you know exactly what you're talking about. This isn't some made up facade. So I'm glad that you were able, I don't know if we want to call it closure, but I'm glad you were able to at least talk to someone in that field and at least understand the situation a little bit better. It it kind of sounds like that's what happened. Um, Kind of. uh, She, she just explained to me, you know, like it's so difficult for social workers to. their, Their hands are kind of tied when it comes to being able to do certain things to help certain kids because of just laws and like restrictions that are put on them through the through the agency and the amount of paperwork they have to go through in order to uh you know like for reporting for these kids they they have like stacks of paperwork like i for instance i i requested all my information through the state of michigan for the time that i was in foster care and adopted and the stack of papers i had was like like this wow this thick Wow. Essential. Yeah, it's probably like three inches thick. Holy shit. Dude, for real. <laughs> um, and and the the social workers have to type that up. And it's the most ridiculous things like, oh, this day I called so and so. This day I called so and so. Or like this day we had an appointment for this. And it's like that's not even really relevant, but um you could you know you could be using that time to help a child. And I guess I guess paperwork isn't really they have to have paperwork. I understand that, but yeah, because unfortunately, we never know when it becomes relevant. That little phone call, you know, talking to so-and-so, it might not seem relevant, but two years later, something could pop up about something that happened on that phone call. So again, I, I definitely right. um, I, I definitely empathize with you on that. Like, it sucks that that time has to be wasted when they could be doing something else. Just unfortunately, it needs to right. be done. You almost wish they would just be able to fix the system where some something can be done where that paperwork can still be done and these people can still be like get like a clerk or something that can just like do this that doesn't have the experience <laughs> right. so a social worker can be in the field doing what they can do to get the families back together right and i mean and part of that goes to the fact that um you know the the social social service uh i guess department is highly underfunded and you know not enough people do it not enough people work in it and i mean i wouldn't want to work in it personally it's it, I'd probably be so depressed if I worked in that field, but um, I'll kind of explain a little bit more later on about why I have certain feelings towards the the system. Um, but uh, to get to get back on track, you know, we we then went into foster care, and everything was kind of fine for a little while. Um, we my foster family they were big into church, so we 
we, you know, went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, we, anytime the ch church door doors were open, we were in church. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of became like a, uh, pretty big into the church. I became kind of big in the church, um, as far as like getting involved and whatnot. Um, and so as time goes on, my, my adopted mom or my foster mom at the time, she, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I don't even really know how to like go in this without just completely bashing her, um, to just state it. I don't have a relationship with her today because of, I would say, unfortunately I heard the story. I don't think there's a way to tell this without, without just showing it in a just, negative light. There's unfortunately, right. there's no way around uh, it. Um, this is how I feel. I feel my life before I went into foster care was better than the time I was in foster care. Wow. Which, which is crazy. Now um, keep in mind, you guys heard what he was dealing with before foster care to have those feelings. I just kind of want you to understand where his mindset is at this point. He is, he's dealing with abuse, living in a van, getting moved around. And that was better than foster care. Like just think better about that than being second, in a stable home. Just think was, about that it, for a second. It was better than being in a stable home and having a roof over my head and, you know, having food on the table every night. Like I would have much preferred to be with my brothers and my, my sister and my mom, you know, living in a van. But, uh, so, you know, like I said, we, we, we are big into church. And so you would think that people who are big into church would be like good people. Like they would love children. They would just want to be able to help people. And, I'm not bashing churches. I, I think there's a lot of good churches. I'm not bashing religion. I think there's a lot of good religions. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to talk down about religion whatsoever, but um, in my personal experience with it, it wasn't that great. So as time goes on, my adopted mom, she became abusive towards me physically, mentally, and emotionally. And there's, there's hundreds of stories of different scenarios that have that happened but um she she didn't get that bad until after i was adopted after i was adopted um i remember a specific situation where she had pulled me out of the public school and uh she started homeschooling me and because she homeschooled her two older children and you know i i think i kind of wanted to be homeschooled a little bit too because i wanted to like be equal to them or whatever um but her and i didn't get along at all and so i remember a specific time where i was i was in my sister's room doing my homework and i, I talk about this in my podcast as well <laughs> but i was in my in my sister's room doing my homework watching a homeschool video and my dad and my mom were arguing probably about me um but she came running up in my sister's room, grabbed her purse. She kicked me in the stomach and then ran out. And I'm, I'm 11 years old at this point. And so I run out and I'm crying because she kicked me and my dad comes up. He's like, what's going on? And, um, he, uh, he, you know, they start arguing some more. I run into the kitchen and my, my adopted mom had grabbed me and threw me into the refrigerator because I, I told my dad what happened. And so then she like, she was in a rampage. She's just running around. There's like a card table with a, a puzzle on it that she was working on. And she flips that puzzle pieces go everywhere. And 
at that point, my dad just had enough and he, he restrained her to the ground, sat on her and he called the police and the police came. Uh, <laughs> when he called the police, he, the dispatcher was asking him a bunch of questions like, you know, is anybody intoxicated? Is there a weapon involved? Like, you know, all the, all the typical questions that they would ask. And because he was trying to restrain her, um, he just told them to send police officers and he hung up. And then next thing you know, like 12 police officers pull up to our house and, you know, they arrest her. And uh, so I remember like at that point in my life, like I, I kind of like got, I got a lot of uh, healing through comedy. I love comedy. I'm a huge fan of comedy. But I just remember laughing. Like, I thought it was so funny that she was getting arrested. And uh, <laughs> it was just it considering was what you because... dealt with 20 minutes before that, I don't think that you're wrong for that. <laughs> well, that's how I've kind of always dealt with with some of the things that happened in my life is I just learned how to laugh at the situation, because if I, I didn't, then I don't know how I would make it through. I see you kick a child in the stomach and slam him on a fridge. I'm laughing at your ass getting cuffed away, too. <laughs> But uh, I remember as, as they were handcuffing her, um, she was like, you don't have to handcuff me. I'm willing to go. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing to say. Um, so, yeah, they, they hauled her away to jail. And uh, things after that kind of got a little bit better because she was on probation. And so she had to you know, behave. But after she got off probation, it was all hands on deck again. She was uh, even more abusive literally and yeah yeah um she was even more abusive i mean there was there was times where there's so many scenarios i could go through but there was there was a time where my brother had his girlfriend over and they're downstairs hanging out uh, her son her son had her boyfriend his his girlfriend over um but him and i had become pretty close at this point um and she was my mom was upstairs yelling at me about something in my face and she spit in my face. Like, she, I don't know if I had, if I said like a smart remark and she didn't like it, but she just like called off and went <laughs> spit on my face. And my brother's like, did she just spit in his face? And he comes up and they get into a fight as well. And so because of that, he decided to take his girlfriend home. Well, when he took his girlfriend home, she made me go stand on the back deck and this keep in mind, this is Michigan and it's February. Oh so my God, there's, there's snow outside and it's cold and I don't have a jacket. I don't have shoes or anything. I'm just standing outside and I'm, I'm like 15 at this point. So my brother gets home and he comes and, you know, kind of like, like pulls me in and kind of warms me up. And then he brought me inside and him and her got into an argument. So, I mean, it's just, like I said, there's so many stories I could go through. I mean, there was another time where she, uh, we were on our way to a dentist appointment and my sis, her, her daughter, uh, my sister was in the car. My brother, her son was in the car. And then my younger brother, my half brother was in the car and I was in the car and my mom was driving down a pretty busy road and we're all arguing about something. And she just whips the car over into oncoming traffic. And there was a semi coming and she just steps on the gas and at the last what minute, she, the she fuck? <laughs> yeah, at the last minute, she whipped it over to, you know, avoid the semi. And so it was like things like that, you know, 
was just emotional and mental abuse. Um, Holy shit. For our listeners, my jaw just came off the ground. Holy <laughs> shit. That is, that's terrifying. Now, is this the same brother that, um, I know you told that story in your podcast uh, about the shower as well. Is this the same brother that he was yes. just like always protecting you? Yep. Yep. He kind of became my protector and same with my sister. I want to give her some credit. I don't think I gave her enough credit in my podcast. Uh, my sister, Melinda, she, she was always kind of the protector for me and my, my brother as well. Um, the one that was protecting me. Um, but then she went off to college. And then after she went off to college, I just remember being scared. Like, okay, now what's going to happen. Like she was the one who protected me. Um, she went to college out of state. So it's not like she could just come back at, at any point. But then it kind of, you know, left it on to my, like up to my brother to protect us. And he did pretty good. <laughs> so that's good. At least you had somebody, you weren't completely alone. Cause I mean, we're hearing these stories with a slight buffer of protection. Imagine where some of these stories go if you just don't have that extra, like, Shit, to be quite frank, and I hate to put a negative spin on it, we might not be talking right now, man. Like, it's just if you don't have the protection, who who knows how, who knows where one of these incidents could have went if someone just didn't step in, and it's right. it's terrifying. Oh man. Well, I mean, I like to, I don't know. I've never been like suicidal, and you would think that somebody in like my position would be like, you know, I just I hate life. I I can't do it. I, you know, I just want to end it now. Um, but I've never had that mentality and I understand people who do have that mentality. I just, I've never been like that. I just always look at it. Like, you know, I just want to make it to, to tomorrow. And that, like just one more day, what's, what's your slogan or the, or the, the phrase you always like to say one day at a time, brother, one, one, one day, day at a time. time, one day at a time. And that's, that's how I looked at it is just, you know, I just want to make it through today. And then if I make it through today. I can make it through tomorrow. See, and, guys, if you needed proof that one day at a time does not just apply to alcoholics, you're hearing it right now. Exactly. I, uh, you know, I just knew that I had been through some pretty shitty things at the time. And if I can make it through, if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. So and, you were living that ODAT lifestyle before you even realized <laughs> you were doing it. That's right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, like I said, I can go on and on about different stories that happened, but um. I eventually ended up moving out when I was 17 years old. I started dating a girl. And like I had said, I was pretty big into church. So before I had started dating this girl, I, um, I like just fully like divulged myself into church. I, I would like, I would, I would do any extra curricular activities, I guess, for the church. And I played an I played trumpet, so I'd play in the church orchestra, and I would sing in the choir, and I did like a um, like a Wednesday night uh, like leadership program where I would be a leader for these children in the children's program. And when I started dating this girl, I uh, my parents didn't approve of it; they didn't like me dating her. So they went to the pastor and told him, you know, I'm having sex with her, and um, you know, that I, you know, I, I shouldn't be in these extracurricular activities. So they kicked me out of it. They kicked me out of those programs. And the only programs that were really helping me to handle with my, my home life. And cause I, I felt that, you know, I was doing something positive and it was getting me away from my situation at home. And, you know, so it helped me. And when they did that, um, 
I, I stopped going to church completely. I, my parents tried making me and I would purposely wake up early on Sundays and <laughs> I would just leave the house and I would make sure I schedule myself to go to work or something just because I didn't want to be a part of the church anymore. I felt that they were being hypocritical considering the fact that my mom had went to jail for abusing a child for abusing ch a child and they still allowed her to be a Sunday school teacher. And so, and not to mention the fact that the pastor had known everything that was going on in our house. Cause he would come over uh, whenever like something broke out in our house and there's a rampage going on. He would come over to try to help, you know, settle the situation down. And he didn't, he didn't bother to report it or to social services or anything. And so at this point, because I'm dating this girl, my parents didn't approve it, approve of it. I stopped going to church. They tried making my life a living hell. Um, they allowed me, they stopped allowing me to shower there. They stopped allowing me to do my laundry at the house. Um, Literal basic life needs. Exactly. And I'm, I'm still in high school. I work a part-time job. And so, you know, I'm just trying to make it through each day. <laughs> um, so... And they stopped letting me use the computer for school and just, you know, whatever, whatever necessities I had, they just kind of put a kibosh on it. Um, and so I started getting so stressed out because I was in school and working and had you know, homework and whatnot to do. And I started developing bald spots on the back of my head. I had three huge bald spots that were like, I don't know, that big around about the size of about a quarter and a half. Um, and I remember going to the doctor and I asked the doctor what it was. And she was like, Oh, it's alopecia. Um, it's because you're stressed out and you'll probably never grow your hair back. And yeah. And, uh, I, I, I don't know, I've never been that stressed out in my life. So, um, when I was in, when I was in high school during that time, I would, and this is, one reason why I have hard feelings towards the system, the, the foster care system or the social service system. I would, I would call social services every single day, leaving school. I would call on my way home. Uh, I'd be on the bus calling them, trying to report what's going on in my house. And just because I, I needed to get out of there, I needed them to move me or something. And, um, they came out, I think once or once or twice, but before they come out, and this is another, another issue with the system. When you're a foster parent and somebody reports something against them, there's an allegation and they have to come out to investigate it. They will call them and be like, Hey, we're, we're going to come out this day at this time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, so the parent has time to come up with a story. They have time to clean up the house, whatever the allegation is, you know? They have time to prepare for it, but they don't do that for parents who are just neglectful, like who are about to lose their kids to the system, you know? Yeah. Tell, go, go tell a social worker that, uh, that, or go, go tell the cops that this guy's got drugs in his house and they'll kick in his fucking door without thinking twice at three o'clock in the morning, but go tell them that a kid is getting the shit kicked out of him every day and they want to call and set an appointment to come and double check it. That's, like say we're, I'm definitely not bashing the system because I know nothing about it. I'm just speaking right. from one story, and that's just it's it's terrible. It is terrible. Um, 
So yeah, they came out to investigate it. And when I called to report it, I had made sure to mention that, uh, that she had gone to jail for abusing me. They didn't know that she had gone to jail. And so, because when she went to jail, uh, the judge had expunged her record for having good behavior. Um, so she still maintained like getting children in the home even while I lived there. And then after I moved out, she still continued to get other foster children and that, that she abused. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, so I reported that, you know, she had been to jail. And so when they came out, they, they asked her, did, have you gone to jail for child abuse? And she said, how did you know that? And they're like, well, it was reported. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? And she was like, oh, well, I didn't think I had to because it was expunged from my record. And they're like, no, you have to report that. And they're like, but if it happens again, you know, we'll have to take your license. And so they still allowed her to maintain a foster, foster parent. And it was at that point where I just kind of lost faith in the system. I remember hearing that and I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. I, 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 don't, I don't really know what to do. So I was at my girlfriend's house one night and my buddy, my buddy, Chad, shout out to Chad. He's a lifesaver. Um, he had called me and he's like, Hey man, what are you up to? And I'm like, I explained to him the situation. I'm just waiting to go home. Oh yeah. That was another thing. Sorry. Kind of all over the place here. It feels like, um, I was being locked out of my house until 11 o'clock every single night because my dad would, was on second shift and I wasn't allowed to come home until he was home. And so, because my mom didn't want to deal with me. And so on top of being locked out of the house till 11 o'clock at night and not able to do laundry, not able to shower, not able to eat, not able to use the computer, nothing. I would just hang out at my girlfriend's house and I would do all those things at her house or at a friend's house or whatever, whoever's. So um, my buddy Chad calls me and he's asking me what's up and I, I explained to him, you know, I'm just waiting to go home and whatnot. And I explained to him the situation and he's like, Hey man, just, just move in with me. He's like, I'll, I'll call my mom real quick and ask her, but you know, it should be fine. Let me, let me call her. So he calls her, gives me a call back and he's like, yeah, dude, let's go get your stuff. You're moving out tonight. And so he comes and picks me up, takes me to my Shout house. out. Chad is a real one. And, and your parents, Chad, we appreciate <laughs> you helping people like this in these situations. Dude, they're lifesavers. I, I, I honestly don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for this. Um, like I said, I was so stressed. I had bald spots. Like, I mean, who knows what, how much physical damage your body can take from stress. Like, you know, so many things can, can happen. Um, and I was just at the start of it. So I got to ask, did the bald spots grow back or is that something you just still have to deal with? Dude, I'll get to that. Okay, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. So... So I ended up going to my house. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I, I just grabbed all my clothes and my school belongings and I throw them in a couple clothes baskets and I walk out and I, on my way out, my dad's like, what are you, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm leaving and I'm moving out. And he's like, well, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And I don't remember if I was like, oh, fuck you or whatever, but I, I left. Now I'm just curious, like your dad seemed like the only one in this situation, like in that house, as far as like an adult, he seemed like the one that was trying to stop the abuse sometimes and he kind of seemed like the safe the safe haven when he would get home you could come in the house and stuff like that so i'm not gonna lie it kind of throws me for a twist that he kind of had that mentality when you were leaving i would almost think like 
Hey man, like, I don't want you to leave, but I'm not even, I like, I'm not even mad. Like, I understand. Like, I just hope you're okay. Call me if you need anything. Like I'm almost, when I heard that in your podcast, that part kind of threw me off. Cause I would have totally expected uh, a different response from him. Cause he kind of seemed like the only adult in that house that cared about you. Well, he kind of, I had him on my pet on my podcast and he kind of explained that he didn't really understand what was going on with me at the time. Okay. And he had, he had thought, because at that point it seemed like everybody was against me. Like, um, you know, him and I were fighting at the, you know, all the time. It seemed like he just kind of, I think he just wanted peace in the house and he didn't realize the extent of things that were, that was happening inside the house. Cause he was on second shift. So by the time I got home from school, he was at work. And so the only thing he had heard was, uh, what my, what my mom had told him and, at this, at this point too, my, my brother, who was also my defender, he was off at college. So it was just me. And, uh, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. So, um, you know, him and I weren't vibing right at that time. So when I left, he just was like, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And then on my podcast, he explained to me that he, he thought he would never see me again after that. Um, and that was my intentions for him to never see me again. probably nobody Uh, in that house to ever see you again yeah exactly so I moved out and I just remember that night I was I went to my buddy's house and you know I'm laying in bed he gave up his bed so I could sleep in it um and I'm just I'm crying because I dude I I thought I had way more potential for my life I'm like my life is going to be like destroyed like I, I I need my parents I guess to help me you know succeed in life and I just didn't know what life was going to bring. So I was just every, all over the, I was all over the place emotionally. And, uh, um, as time goes on, like throughout the summer, I moved out in May of 2011, I believe. Um, so throughout the summer, those bald spots I had, I, I started to develop hair to started to develop hair there and they eventually went away. So he just became David long hair. Don't care. That's right. I got, I have hair now. My (laughs) man. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. And then, uh, you know, life had become so much easier at that point. And, uh, and you're what, like 18, 19 now. I was 17 when I moved, moved out. Um, and now I'm 27. So, but yeah, I was, I was 17 and I, I didn't know what life was going to bring at that point. That's, that's just, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like we just, we just heard you for the last 40 minutes or so. Just like talk about all of this shit you had to go through and what is like a 13 year time frame, And it's just, man, like, I had a rough childhood. A lot of people have rough childhoods and I'm not saying anybody's is worse or better than anybody's because everybody has different circumstances and we all deal with things differently. But right. I, I genuinely don't know if I could have survived, you know, a childhood like that. But at the same time, you know, I, I guess when you are a kid and you don't know anything else, I mean, you, I guess you really don't have a choice. It's, it's, you know, survival of the fittest almost. Um, and, and to be honest, that's actually what I was referring to um, before when I said that, like, we might not even be having this interview right now. I actually wasn't even thinking of, like, 
oh man, this kid might be having suicidal thoughts from all the abuse. I just meant like, you know, leaving you out in the cold until your brother gets home. Like, what if he wasn't there to protect you? What if he doesn't get home? How long are you left out in the cold? Or, you know, when you're kicked in the stomach and thrown against the fridge and then your father restrains her, like, who knows? Um, and just one more example I remember from your podcast, when she goes to grab a metal, uh, a steel Kirby vacuum and your brother who just got yeah. off surgery kicks it away, like, who knows? Like, we've all seen a movie, like one swing, person falls the wrong way, hits their head on something or, and, and you know, and so that's kind of what I meant. Like, we've, we've all seen the movie where it's just like, that one incident happens and, you know, thank God that people were there because who knows, like it, you know, five more seconds in any one of these scenarios and who knows what could have happened to anybody. Um, and, and, and even not to go this way too, but shit at, at one point, I mean, as a human being, you can only take so much too before you might've felt the need to defend yourself. And then shit right. again, who knows what, what goes there? I don't want to go into details and get dark, but I mean, we all, we're all smart people listening to this. We can kind of, we can kind of grasp. So it's, it's, it's scary shit. And it's, it's just, it's something that nobody your age, nobody at all should have to deal with because it's just, it's not normal. It's, it's the exact opposite of normalcy. And I just think that it's, it's, I'm just so, I don't want to say happy, but I'm just like, to, to have you on here um, sharing this story is it's, it's inspiring and it's sad and it's, and it's, and for any kid out there dealing with this, reach out to someone for help, which you tried to do as well, but just keep reaching out. There's gotta be someone that can help you. Um, I'd like to think that everybody has a chat in their life. Um, hmm. Hopefully you find your chat a little bit sooner. Um, but man, it's, that's rough. Well, for me, um, to kind of put it on, you know, to plug your podcast a little bit and like the recovery aspect, you know, for me, it was never drugs or alcohol. I mean, obviously I've part, I've partaked in those things before, but, um, for me, I, the recovery process has been like emotionally and mentally, I've never been physically abusive. Um, but like, emotionally and, and mentally, you know, like there for a while, you know, when I, when I first moved out and into my early twenties, dude, I struggled, um, you know, just like in relationships, I was emotionally abusive. Not, I wouldn't say like, I don't know. I'm just whenever, like I got into an argument, like with a girlfriend or whatever, I would just say the most hurtful shit that I could possibly say to them to, to get one up, you know? And so for me, that's been my healing process is trying to, trying to just be a better person and not, I don't know, not, not be emotionally abusive to people. I, I'm not now, um, just cause I, I don't know, I, I've, I've realized my errors and my, my mistakes and I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be the person that I was raised to be, you know? So that's been, that's been my issue, but. So at, at this point in your life, now you are out of the abusive household. You're onto your buddy's house. Um, is this, is, is it safe to say, does the abuse stop at this point? Uh, yeah, life is great at this point. Um, I'm living my best life. I'm hanging out with my friends and doing everything I wanted to do. Uh, 
And then I ended up getting a roommate who was my manager at McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's um, and it was, it was in the, t- the hometown I lived in. So then I was able to move back to my hometown and him and I became roommates and he, he was like an older brother. He, he helped me get my driver's license and he, he just helped me out a lot. Um, I was still in school. So he was kind of like my parent figure, like making sure I'm doing my schoolwork and whatnot. Shout out to Billy. <laughs> um, so eventually, you know, I, I move out of there and I, I move in with another roommate somewhere else and her and I became pretty good friends and, uh, uh, life, yeah, life just kind of kept progressing for me at that point. You know, I'm in and out of relationships. Um, I started doing like I started started smoking weed and drinking a lot, just partying, just trying to have fun. And uh, typical 20, 20 year old shit. Yeah, I wasn't even twenty, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think I was like seventeen, eighteen. Uh, I was eighteen when I started partying heavily, and then I made the conscious decision that. I'm hanging around people that aren't doing shit with their lives. And I don't want to be that person because that's who my parents said I would be if I moved out. And so I made the con- conscious decision to, to stop smoking weed, stop drinking and hanging around those people. So I just stopped. And, you know, obviously those people weren't too happy with me once I, once I stopped hanging out with them. But um, at that point, I just, I just kind of started, trying to progress my life any way I could, whether it was like working at McDonald's and picking up extra shifts or finding another job that paid just a little bit more. Um, and eventually just kind of kept progressing to better and better jobs. And I ended up finally developing somewhat of a relationship with my, uh, adopted family again. Um, and then my, my adopted dad had got me a job at General Motors. And so that kind of put me where I am today. And that's, that job's completely changed my life. Um, now, before we keep going too much further into that, I, I wanted something you, you said really, really hit. Um, you stopped drinking, you stopped smoking weed, and your friends pretty much stopped liking you. Yeah. Um, and they stopped hanging out with you. Um, I, I don't mean to be like rude or disrespectful towards these people, but um, they obviously weren't friends. You know, because right. uh, this and this is the thing, too, that I learned in in the meetings, in the rooms um, as an alcoholic. It was huge um, when you stop doing that stuff. And, you know, one of the things they tell us is people, places and things. So you have to readdress where you're at, who you're with and what you're doing. And um, when you start telling people, hey, no, I'm not going to this bar just to get drunk. No, I'm not going here. I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself in that situation. Um you start to find out who your real friends are um, because the real ones are going to be there and be like, Oh word. Well, we don't go to the bar, go to the bar, but I still want to get food with you. So let's go here. Where are you comfortable going to eat? Oh, cool. We were going to, we were supposed to go shoot pool. We don't got to go to the bar. This place doesn't have a bar. Let's go here. And then those other friends and I'm throwing air quotes for our listeners right now. <laughs> um, those other people, they're not your friends. Cause they're going to be like, Oh shit. Well, if I'm not hanging out with David tonight and he's not getting sloppy drunk and he's not turning an asshole and he's not going to talk about his abusive childhood, then um, who else is going to make me look good tonight? You know, <laughs> who else am I going to feel better? Because that's what we do a lot of times is we surround ourselves with people that make us feel better because right. our life sucks. And yep. we want to put we, we 
we, to, for, to be blunt, we want to be around other people that we think have it worse than us because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Um, and that's something that I struggled with a lot when I was drinking. And I, again, I found out because I was, I was the shit show. And so when I quit drinking, a lot of people wanted to stop hanging out with me because shit, you can't, there was no way they were going to let Migs be the mature one in the situation. They weren't going <laughs> to let him be the responsible one. Like, man, without me being the shitty one, then you're now exposed. So it's, that is something really, really important. And, and again, for, for our listeners, that's something that applies to um, any day life. When you change your life for the better, um, you really, really will find out who your true friends are. Um, and unfortunately it even applies for family as well. Cause I have a few exactly. family members that I've lost relationship with, but at the same time, um, I will say for every one person in my family that I lost because I stopped being that person, I gained two because they now wanted to be around me because yeah. they didn't want to be around me then. So for every one I lost, I gained two and, um, yeah, I'll take those numbers. Fuck it. Yeah, should. Um, so yeah. So you're at general motors. Well, I just want to say real quick that, you know, I, I, I started noticing some of those people, uh, going down paths that I didn't want to go down. Like you know, they would, they were the people I would get high with or drink with, but then they would, they would go and break into cars and steal stuff out of vehicles. And, and eventually they got caught and they got jail time. And then now one of them's dead. And so ultimately, you know, you can see, kind of see the progression of, of the path that they took and they wanted you to be there with them. And they wanted me to be there. And I, I knew that that's not what I wanted for my life. I knew I wanted better. Big ups for realizing that. I know. Right. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, so yeah, I'm working at GM, uh, at this point I start to build a relationship with my, my adopted family. Again, I start coming around every once in a while. Uh, and because I'm working at GM, my, my adopted dad, he also works there and him and I happen to be working on the same shift. So we would go to work and I would just meet them in the parking lot and we would sit there and talk. We just, we'd get there early and talk for a long time. And we just talked about life and uh, the different things that happened in the home. And him and I, you know, started to develop a pretty good relationship with each other and, uh, um, and developed a bond. And now, you know, because of that, him and I have a great relationship, That's but so awesome. yeah, it's, it, it's really nice. Um, and as far as my adopted mom, her and I started to build a relationship, but then she ended up cheating, cheating on my dad and, uh, they got divorced. And because of that, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to cut ties with you. you. You've done nothing but bad to me. So, um, so to kind of bring it back a little bit, I had said that they, they got other foster children and I think they had, let's see here, one, two, three, four. They, they, I think they had like four or five other foster kids after I left. And one of the kids, uh, I don't want to say any of their names on here, but uh, they, one of the kids, he, he was, he was an awesome little boy. I think he was probably like five or six. He was the sweetest little boy and she just broke him down so much. And after he had, you know, moved out and went to another foster home, uh, he had tried committing suicide oh, and fucking God. they had like a balcony and he, I think he jumped off of it and his, his foster dad had caught him like was down on the ground and like caught him 
while, like when he jumped. And when they investigated it and asked why he wanted to, wanted to die, they, he had said, well, because Mrs. Hess uh, said I would never make anything of myself. Oh my Jesus. And I, I know she, she denies it, but I know that's true because I, at least I would assume that it's true because she had said some of the same similar, similar things to me. Um, I mean, it's, it was, it's hard to believe that it's not true when you went through everything as well. Um, so it, it's hard to believe that she's saying and doing this to one or two kids and then not doing it to the other ones. It's just, right. man, and this kid is six years old. That is just, man, he like I, I have, I have a three-year-old right now and he's just like the most fun thing in the world. And I just, Oh my God, that's how, how does a child even get to the point of having those thoughts that, that shit breaks it, my heart, man. Dude, it, it broke my heart when I found out about it. And when they investigated it, they came out to, you know, their house to ask them why, like, she said that or if she said it. And she completely denied it. And they're like, okay. And now, obviously, we're not going to say this kid's name, but have you remained contact? Is he doing better now? I No, I don't know. I don't even know his last name. Um, okay. I wish I could find him. If he ever sees us, please hit me up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you know who you are. If you're hearing this story, reach out to David and let him know that you're okay. Because he obviously till this day, years later, he has not forgotten about you, bud. No, no. He was an awesome little kid. Uh, I'd like to connect with him. Um, so then they ended up, they ended up getting two little girls eventually. And this, this was their last set of foster children. And one was like four and the other one was like six and she treated the six-year-old like shit um like for instance we went out one time for my birthday my dad had taken us to uh famous daves i don't know if you know what famous daves is but it's like I've a barbecue it. i know joint. nothing about it okay it's like a barbecue joint uh you know you, you can get these big platters with like ribs and brisket and just whatever like anything I'm so hungry right now <laughs> <laughs> so we go to famous dave's and uh my wife is with me we weren't married at the time she was we we're still i think dating but um she's with me and she would restrict my, my adopted mom would restrict what these little girls could eat because they were kind of chunky when they came into the house. So she put them on a diet because it's healthy for them, even though she knows nothing about nutrition and shouldn't be applying a diet to anybody. <laughs> um, so she gave them a little bit of like a chicken, chicken leg or whatever, and a little bit of other food. And then after they were done, they were so hungry, they were sucking on chicken bones and she refused to give them any more, any more food. And, um, so that, you know, that, that really broke my heart and my wife's heart too. She was very angry and, um, so yeah. And then that was their last, their last set of foster children. Um, they eventually gave Thank up their, God. their license. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, so yeah, at that point I still kind of have a relationship with, with them. And like I said, I, I didn't cut the relationship off with my adopted mom till she left. And ever since then, I just, you know, kind of, um, I, I don't really talk to her. Um, but I, I did maintain uh, a relationship with my, my younger brother, who is my half brother. I am now his guardian because uh, he's special needs, um, mainly because 
my my adopted parents uh well he he went to go stay with my my mom my adopted mom and then she put him in a home in a group home all the way in a different city where I can't really go see him so I I decided that I should probably fight fight to be his guardian but um but yeah that's kind of that's kind of my life story that's that's unbelievable and it's it's so cool that you fought to become his guardian as well um because it sounds like he needs someone in your corner um to really really help him out as well and so um i just think it's a it's i'm just so glad that you were able to share this story because it's people need to hear this because i guarantee there's someone out there right now um who's listening to this and you know it might even be like a double version of the story. Like there might be someone who dealt with very similar things in their childhood. And right now they're sitting back with their favorite alcoholic beverage right now. And they're, they, they might be sitting there crying or sad because they want to put that drink down and they're just reflecting on everything in their childhood. And they can't stop thinking about that and it doesn't work. And they keep drinking until they forget about those things or pass out. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, someone can hear this and be like, shit, it does get better. You know, I can get out there. I can be healthier. I can, I can live a better lifestyle. I can do, I can do things. I can make something of myself. Um, you know, and, and so, which is going to get me into the next part. Um, because it sounds like it, it sounds like we are now past the negative part of the story. Yep. So now we get on to my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> um, every interview, we get to focus on the positive, you know, because I'm obsessed with running miles and miles and miles. Um, I love working out. I love doing anything I can do to just be outdoors and help the community and help other people. Um, so why don't you tell us what are, what is Dave doing to stay healthy? What is Dave doing to stay fit? Like, where does a lot of your energy get focused now? Well, first and foremost, I think because of all the things that I have been through, I think like struggling on a daily basis is necessary. Otherwise I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> um, so as far as, as far as staying healthy, I like to work out. Um, I work I, out. <laughs> I, work out. <laughs> I, I don't know why I, I, I could, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say the word um, I work out without me responding like that. I don't know. I'm like, I'm 33 going on 10 guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like to, I like to work out. I'm, I'm pretty big into fitness. I, I've done a lot of, a lot of five K's. Um, oh, I, I, all right. I'm, I'm obsessed with running. I need to hear numbers. I need to hear numbers. What's your five K PR? I'm not, I'm by no means professional. It, no, um, no, it, shit. Mine is 25 58. That is not fast. <laughs> it is not fast. So don't be shy, brother. I think my fastest was like 20, like 23 or something. I'll see you faster than me. But I was Shit. like, I was like sprinting, like, but yeah. That well, was... in a 5K, you're supposed to sprint. It, it's like <laughs> the 5K. Well, in all seriousness, for, for, um, like a, a 5K is, it's so with, uh, with all the distances, a lot of people actually, and specifically like distance runners, they hate the 5K because the difference is like with a marathon, like you might be out there for three, four, five hours, whatever your speed is. And, and you pace yourself. Your body hurts you're cramping and it hurts. Um, but there's just something about a 5k where like, if you're doing a 5k, like you can go out and do it recreational and you can just go jog it, have fun. But like, if you're racing a 5k, it is 
everything you have for 3.11 miles, um, you know, anywhere from 20 to, or 17 to 25 minutes of hell. If you're, if you're a little bit of a faster runner and it's just like, when you finish that, it's just like, you're it's full blown pain cave. You're sore. You feel like you did leg day. Like I honestly, <laughs> I, I can speak from experience. It takes me longer to recover or at least one particular time. It took me longer to recover from a 5k than it did a marathon. Wow. Because my legs were so sore from just pushing everything I had. And specifically it was a hilly course. Um, But yeah, just this last Thanksgiving, um, I ran a 5k and like, I wasn't feeling speed for about 10 days. And when I did my last marathon, other than a little bit of tightness in my hamstring, I was out running two days later. It's, It's just, it's a different kind of pain. It's, it's different tightness and more stretching, but no, a, a 5Ks are brutal. Um, but anyway, yeah, that that rant is over. Um, so what else? What else beyond besides 5Ks? Well, when I when I met my wife, um, I wasn't into fitness whatsoever. Um, I met her at GM as well, so she works there. Um, she was working out with this guy named Shane. Shout out to Shane. He's he's now one of my good friends, and. I was like, I just remember like dating her and I'm like, man, I feel like a bitch. Like she can, <laughs> she can lift all this weight. I don't lift anything. Like I, like I was, I was like scrawny fat, if you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I was, I was like fat in the stomach, but just like scrawny. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, I was like, I want to work out too. So I, I, I was like, Hey, can you hook me up with Shane? And he started personal training me. And he, at that point had just opened up a gym. And, uh, I remember going to the gym and he'd put me on the rower. I'm like rowing and I'd fall on the ground. Like after, after each interval and just trying to cool off. And he's like, looking at me, like, I'm just this big ass bitch. I'm like, okay. So, um, I, I got pretty big into kettlebells because he, he kind of specializes in kettlebells. Okay. And, uh, you know, I ended up doing a couple kettlebell competitions and, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. He, he, uh, trained us for those. So talk, talk, tell me what a kettlebell competition is. Like I go to the gym, I see a kettlebell, I have a kettlebell and it's like, I do a, you know, I do swings or I might use it for like triceps or, you know, substitute it as a dumbbell at home. Cause I don't have too, too much stuff at home. Um, but what is a kettlebell competition? Um, a kettlebell competition is kind of like any other weightlifting competition you go up, you have, you have your weight class, you have, different flights. Um, so you go up and, you know, there might be like six people doing like lifting during that time, but they're all maybe doing a different lift. Um, I would, I would, I think when I did a competition, I did seated chair press. So you have two kettlebells and you're pressing them over your head for a a given amount of time and you're going for reps. And how much, how, what weight are the kettlebells? Uh, the ones I was using were 35s. And how many reps did you slam up? I I honestly don't remember, but I remember I placed uh, first place uh, in worlds in that in that lift. So in worlds in world, yeah, it was, it's called IKFF, International uh, Kettlebell something Foundation. So are people all flying to this particular event from all over the world, or is this like a virtual yep. competition? Or nope, people are flying from all over the world. People are like from Russia and like all over the all United right. States. So let's, let's slow down and backtrack and we're cause <laughs> I'm, I'm going to toot your horn for you, brother. All right. So <laughs> you're at a world kettlebell competition. 
You're doing a seated shoulder press for people that couldn't see. He's pretty much, he's doing, he's doing a seated shoulder press with kettlebells. Yep. People are flying all over the world and nobody can beat David Hess. Well, I mean, the way it works is other people can place first place as well. Um, I don't, I, I wish I could explain it better. I don't okay. really understand their, their ranking system, but you rank in your weight class. So like other people can still rank, get that ranking as well. Okay. But you're still in your weight class though. Yeah. Yep. So, and what weight class is that? Oh, geez. Um, I think I was in like, I was like 180, 185 at the time. And what year was this? The, the last one I did, my wife was pregnant. She also did it while she was pregnant. Um, <laughs> she's a savage. <laughs> savage. She's a savage. Um, I, I think it was 2017 was the last competition I did. So in 2017, yep. there wasn't anybody that weighed 185 pounds that could shoulder press more kettlebells than you. Sure. <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, I was going to find one way to say it, brother. I was going to find until you accepted. I would, I would have kept rewording. I would have kept digging until I found something. You, you, you deserve it, bro. That's, that's on, in, in all seriousness, man, that's, that's unbelievably impressive. Um, and when we get off this uh, call, I'm going to like, you got to check out our Facebook group. Um, okay. Uh, if you're not already in there, we have, um, we have a badass in there. Uh, shout out, uh, Mary she's a crossfitter okay and um she just did a competition and I, I don't understand crossfit too much um other than like going to work out but from a competition standpoint just like how i kind of like had to be dumbed down for yours there and kind of understanding exactly what you were doing right i don't know her weight class or her skill but whatever she did most recently she took first place as well wow and so she's an absolute beast so it'd be really cool to see the two of you connect um because we don't have we don't have a lot of strong people in the community. We have a lot of endurance athletes, a okay. lot. We don't have a ton of, of strong people, so to speak. So it'd be really cool to get you in there and see some more people throwing some weights around this summer and whatnot. And just, <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that, yeah, I love it. I love it. That's so exciting. Um, what, 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 else, what else are we doing in the, in the fitness world? Well, so, you know, I kind of did that for a while. Um, I still play around with, with kettlebells. I don't I haven't really competed. Um, I, I have a home gym, so I, I stay home to work out and, uh, I go to the, the gym that I had mentioned earlier every once in a while, but unfortunately they're now closing. So, um, if you want to give your boy, was that Shane's gym? Yeah. Shane, you, what was the name of the gym? Plug him. Functional fitness in Perry, Perry, Michigan, Perry, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in Perry, Michigan, stop in. Tell Shane that you heard Dave's podcast and he said, this is the place to go and fuck me <laughs> up with some kettlebells. <laughs> oh, he will. <laughs> um, but yeah, so back to the running thing um, and, and struggling, I, I find it very important to struggle and regardless of what, whatever it is, whether it's physical or it's mental or it's, you know, like a goal you have just any goal. I think it's important to, to set goals and to reach it and for it to not to be easy. So I was, I got the, and I, and I can never do anything as far as like weightlifting or running without a goal in mind. I always have to have a goal. I think a lot of us do. Yeah. You need to know what you're working towards. So like I, 
I don't know if I had mentioned in the pod, your podcast here, but you know, I stopped drinking and whatever. Um, you did, but you didn't tell us when or why I you just kind of said you stopped. Well, I stopped during the, the pandemic. Cause I was like, well, I don't really want to do anything that's going to harm my immune system. So I, I was like, I just made the conscious decision to stop drinking. I've never had an issue drinking. Okay. Um, I just decided that, you know, for, from a healthy standpoint, it would be better for me not to do it right now until we know more about the pandemic and like for COVID. Sure. And so I, I just stopped. And then I liked the way I felt. I, I didn't feel, um, I don't know, like sluggish or whatever. And I would, I would just drink socially, especially in the summertime. Like we have a pool. So like I have a pool party, have people over and I'll, I'll drink just socially though. Not, I don't get like trashed or anything. So I stopped and then I started running a lot during the pandemic. And uh, wait, so are you telling me that on a hot July night, <laughs> if you don't drink alcohol, you wake up the next morning feeling good? <laughs> wait how if you don't drink you feel good that's uh, i that's weird uh i can't wrap my head around that one that makes no sense to me wink wink <laughs> well i would never get to the point where i'm like hung over you know the next day but i just i would there, there's like a there's just a feeling i would get you know like i don't know i just didn't feel like i was at optimal performance no, and 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 in all seriousness, I mean, obviously, I know I just made light of the situation. I was making a joke. Um, and, and this next statement is not coming from an alcoholic. This next statement is coming from, I guess you can say, an athlete, so to speak. It doesn't matter, um, you know, if, if you're not tying on a million of them. It's still, it's still a lot of carbs. It's still a lot of sugar. It's, yeah. still, it's still a lot of unhealthy stuff. Like, there is nothing about beer that is good for you. So regardless of, you know, even if you're only drinking two or three and you're being responsible, you definitely aren't an alcoholic in that scenario. However, I promise you that you're not getting the maximum potential out of your body because your body is still being held back a little bit. That's just like going out and eating fried chicken and drinking soda all night and then wondering why you felt like shit at the gym the next day. It's the same yeah. thing. It's just what you're putting into your body from a diet standpoint. And so yeah. again, that had nothing to do with me as an alcoholic. Cause that first sentence I said before, that was me making jokes as an alcoholic. Now I'm just making jokes as uh, a personal trainer run coach and, and speaking a little bit of seriousness that it's just, it's about what you put into your body, regardless of what it is. Um, even when I quit drinking, I had a bad issue with soda for a while. Um, which now, as I get into more and more distance running, soda isn't as bad because you need no. carbs and you need sugar. So yep. it's not terrible. But I remember when I first started working out before I knew what my long-term goal was, I remember it was, it was kind of the same thing. Like I, I lost all that original weight from the quitting drinking. And then I just kind of plateaued because the diet sucked. So that right. is a huge component into, into what you can get out of your body because your body will give you what you give it. Exactly. And that was kind of my thinking behind that. And so I didn't just quit that. I just, I quit like, you know, kind of eating like shit. And I started training for a 50 mile ultra race Ooh. in January. And that was, that race was in January. Um, so I started, you know, that was my goal was to train for that. Did so you run I, it? I did. I didn't finish it, but yeah, I ran it. I'm not uh, happy did about you not, it. <laughs> did you not? And 
Um, did you not finish because did you stop or get cut off? Um, with a lot of 50, with like anything with any of those races, there's, there's cutoff times. Yeah, there is. That happens to a lot of people with that race because of COVID it became a virtual race. Okay. And it was on a trail that I have never ran before. So, um, you could, because it was a virtual race, you could run it anywhere, but me being the hardhead I am, I was like, well, I've trained for this. I want to do it on that course at the same time, you know, same day, whatever. So I go there and did anybody like, else do that? Did anybody else show up doing yeah. the same mentality? Yep. Yep. A lot of like 15 other people. Nice. And so I get there, but I started the race kind of later in the day because I didn't want to start at six o'clock in the morning when it was dark running through these trails that I've never been through before. And that was a mistake on my part. Um, so when I, at the end of the day, I, I, it was dark out. I didn't have my headlamp with me. Um, and the only, the only light I had was a flashlight on my phone. So I was like, I need to call this a day. Like I, I'm, I'm going to fall down these, these, they, it was like cliffs. Um, you know, I couldn't see the trail. So I decided to end it and I made it 38 miles. So to just call it what it is, it sounds like you trained properly, but prepared poorly. Maybe is that a exactly. good way to put it? Maybe. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't fully prepared. And I think, um, but you know what, now, now you learn things. So now next time you go out, um, you might start at a time more appropriate. Um, I don't know if you had any issues with like chafing or your clothing or anything, but you might nope. readdress that or, or nutrition. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely going to have a headlamp next time. <laughs> so it, it sounds like, you know, and there, those are some of those things that we do. Like we're just training, we're training, we're training, we're training. Um, and there's a lot of things that we don't factor in you know, prior to race day, we just think, all right, cool. Like I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And I think a lot of it stems from, um, as a marathon runner specifically. Uh, and I assume it probably the same thing for ultra. Like when you're training for a marathon, your longest run is anywhere from 18 to 22 miles. You never actually run that yeah. extra. You, you don't go beyond 22 miles until race day. You train your body to be able to do that. Now I can't speak for an ultra plan, but I would assume for, you know, a, a 50 mile race, you're probably not running more than 25 or 30 miles at any given point. So when you step out there at that day, you're in uncharted territory. So you might be trained properly for it, but maybe you didn't realize shit. I'm not good with this. This shirt is only good to be on me for three hours because of the fabric or, you know, you didn't factor shit. I'm still going to be out there 18 hours later. It's going to be dark. So it's really cool. Cause you learn and you can come yeah. back. You definitely don't seem like the kind of guy who's going to, who's going to give up. Um, you don't, and I'm going to use your own words. Against you. You, don't, you don't, you don't seem like a little bitch to me. Um, so, and, 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 and again, also for our listeners, please don't get offended by us, you know, using that word little bitch. We mean nothing by it. It's just two guys joking around. It's just our mentality, the way yep. we like to, uh, to psych each other out. And, um, I was, and, and obviously for the sake of the story is why I haven't used this line against you, but, um, my boss is the first person I ever said that, uh, that my line now is, uh, mama ain't raised no bitch. So, I mean, obviously with your story, I wasn't going to use that line against you. Cause it's kind of like poor fitting. Um, however, it's pretty much like the gist of it. It's like, I heard that from my boss and now it's like, I use that in everyday mentality. Are you doing this? Well, mama ain't raised no bitch. I'll see you there. Like, let's go. So it's, it's, it's just really cool though. Cause you definitely seem like the kind of guy who's going to be out there trying again. Do you have, do you have a date circled on your calendar? Um, well, they have another one for June, I believe. 
and I haven't started training yet. Um, just been busy with like work and kids and whatnot. So it takes a lot of time to train for something like that. Uh, because when I was training for that ultra, I would, I would spend every, almost every day running or recovering, um, specifically on like Sundays, which is typically my only day off. I would, I'd go for my long runs and you know, it, it takes a lot of time it takes, you know, I'd be gone for four or five hours at a time. So it really is. I, I will um, say though, so with um, like doing this pod, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. You okay, go ahead. So with doing the podcast and okay, with doing the podcast and with working and you know, um, children and wife and house and all that stuff, it it takes a lot of time. It really does, and and I would say too, um, another thing, and it it sucks because it's not free and it costs money, and I don't know your situation, um, but you know, getting a run coach might not be the worst idea as well. Um, I can speak specifically like I'm trying to qualify for the Boston marathon right now. And I set an 18th month goal because you have to be realistic for something like that. You can't go out and think you're going to qualify for Boston in a month, especially where my current fitness was. Um, And for me to give you an idea for me to qualify for the Boston marathon, um, I have to remove 110 minutes from the marathon time that I had most recently done. So I'm, I need to go from, at the time when I hired my coach, my one and only marathon I ever ran was a 448. And for me to qualify for Boston, I need a sub okay. three. So I got to take off an hour and 48 minutes. Wow. So I brought in a coach and it's just like the accountability factor has been huge. Um, and it's been really, really cool. And I already wanted to be a run coach myself as well. And it really like pushed me to, to kind of just like putting that nail in and becoming a coach myself. Um, okay. But I will say that I, I strong, I highly recommend, um, my coach as well. Like if you're ever looking for even, even to just pick a brain for a minute, like in our Facebook group, look up Alicia. Okay. Um, also, if you find the time, listen to her story. I interviewed her about a week after I hired her. I interviewed her just because she had some really, really cool accolades. Um, she qualified for Boston. She ran the Boston marathon. Um, she's also a trail runner. Um, I think her longest race, um, I think she's done as much as a 200 mile race. Um, so she's an absolute beast. So even if it's just like general questions and we have a few people in the Facebook group now that are heading into the, uh, the ultra trail world as well, like a personal, really, really good friend of mine just completed his first, uh, 50 and he's training for his next one as well. So there's a lot of really cool inspiration out there. And then at the same time, you got people sharing their experience, strength, and hope. So it's, it's really cool because you can be like, Hey, I'm Dave, I've struggled with this and now here's where I'm at. And then I just... I shit the bed in this last 50 attempt. So um, yeah, let me, let me see what I need to do. And it's, it's really cool for the accountability. So I highly suggest, I think you'll find a lot of cool stuff in there and yeah, there's such beasts in there. And like I said, the majority of the community is runners. Um, okay. So yeah, man, there's ultra runners that are unbelievable in there. There's people that literally win races. I'm not just talking about like win age groups. Like my coach won a race just a few months ago, like first wow. place of everybody. So wow. it's, there's a lot to gain there. And I'm not just saying that just to go like hire her and spend money, but just like, you know, just pick, pick the brains of a few people, just get some pointers, get yep. some ideas. You never know. It might just take you to the next level, but there's, it sounds like you have unbelievable potential and you definitely don't have, you don't have that quitter mentality in you because you wouldn't be here right now. Like even reflecting back on your childhood, uh, everything you went through, just scream like, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Like, just, just get me till tomorrow. Get me till tomorrow. Get me till tomorrow. 
and here you are today. And now you just got to get through today and get exactly. through tomorrow. Um, and it's, it's just unbelievable, man. Your story is just so inspiring. So, so inspiring. It's, it's so cool. And it's funny. We, when you interviewed me yesterday, you said that was your longest podcast episode. <laughs> and I'm looking at the time right now and considering we have at least another five to 10 minutes, at least, um, with that being said, like <laughs> this is going to end up being my longest episode. So that's really cool. <laughs> a little, a little cool. fair, a fair trade. Um, <laughs> and with that being said, uh, I think it's cool for our listeners to know too, that Dave and I have got to learn a lot about each other in the last two days. Yesterday, yeah, he heard sure. me talk for two hours and tell my story. Today, I get to hear him tell his story. So in the last 24 hours, we've spent three, almost four hours just swapping stories and just talking in like this interview style format because his podcast is exactly the same. Just kind of yep. ask a question. Let me tell my story. Pop in when you need to interject or ask something else or lead and direct. And it's, so it's it's kind of the, the same thing. Just flip flop on the other side of the camera. Um, yeah. But it's it's really, really cool. Um, which is going to segue into right now. Um, we call this the plug moment. So plug the shit out of yourself, everything you have on social media, spell things, you know, okay. make sure our listeners can find you. Okay. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, I have a podcast called rising above and that can be found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, it's on anchor. I mean, I, it's on, it's on any major social or podcast streaming site, social media. Uh, my Instagram is Dave, D-A-V-E underscore Hess, H-E-S-S 27. Uh, so give that a follow. And Facebook, I can be found on Facebook as well. Um, you know, David Hess. And uh, I don't really know how to plug that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think you just did. Let's <laughs> just say your name. Exactly. And a friend request if they want to. And then I have a, a rising above uh, Facebook group. Uh, so give that a like and a follow. Oh, for sure. I don't so, think I knew about that. Yep. Uh, I can send you an invite. Yeah, for sure. I'll send you uh, an invite to the Facebook, to the Stang Fit ODAP page as well. Okay, great. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much a rising above on YouTube. Um, that's, I, I typically, uh, if I do an in-person podcast that goes on there, if I do like an interview such as yours uh, that goes on there. So. Oh, cool. Um, email is rising above with David Hess at gmail.com. So, uh, that's it. That's it. All right. So, um, so at this point for all of our listeners, give us, give us a few nuggets, uh, something that uh, somebody who might be dealing with childhood trauma um, what, what would you tell if, if you, if you right now, knowing everything, you know, could go back and talk to four-year-old David, eight-year-old David, 12-year-old David, 16-year-old David, what would you say to him? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I've never thought about it like that. Um, I would, I would say to not give up. And uh, that's so, that's a pretty cliche thing to say, but when you're going through something as difficult as what I went through or like what, you know, your life was like, or, you know, there's so many other stories where people's lives are in shambles and they just want to give up. They want to take the easy road that people want. Most people seek the easy road. And I would always say to not, 
to not seek the easy road, find, you know, find what works for you and what will help you and, and seek that out and to not give up. Um, and I would, I would also say for someone who was in like the situation I was in for, you know, a child who's in an abusive situation, um, sexually, mentally, physically, whatever it is to always reach out to somebody and whether it's like a friend or a family member, um, you go to the police if you have to, uh, just tell somebody who is able to help you. And don't give up because, and, give and up. again, as you heard by Dave's story, he called social services every day on his way home from school. Um, don't, don't make that first phone call and get turned away and just feel defeated. You just stay at it, stay persistent, talk to people. Um, I, I, I think looking back, I don't want to say wrong, but I think maybe one thing that you could have did is maybe try and get other adults involved a little bit earlier. Um, well, maybe, well, that that's one like thing. I, yeah. Well, that's one thing I, I didn't mention in the podcast or in your podcast is how I did. I, um, there was neighbors that called to report it there. There was probably 10 to 15 other people that reported what was going on in our home and nothing, oh, was, nothing was done. That so, just negated everything I said. And it just, unfortunately, man, that, that house is just, holy shit, dude. It was, it was madness. I like if the, if the devil was a household <laughs> for sure, that was our, <laughs> that was shit. our household. <laughs> oh man. And also on a lighter note, is there anywhere to work in Michigan that isn't uh fast food or like building cars? Um, <laughs> like anyone I know that lives in Michigan, it's like, I work at general motors or a restaurant. And it's like, <laughs> is there anything else to do out there? Do you guys have like lawyers, corporate buildings? And I mean, I'm, I'm just joking, but like, uh, it's well, just funny. I know so many people, like every time I talk to someone from Michigan, they have like some type of job in a car industry. Well, I mean, the car industry is huge in Michigan considering, yeah. you know, Detroit is, you know, the home of the, of the auto industry for GM, Chrysler and Ford. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of, uh, lots of things to do here. Definitely not go to a Lions game. <laughs> Definitely, <for> not. Sure. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. Oh man. But on, on a serious, it was so much fun having you on here, Dave, just chopping it up, talking to you. This was so cool. Um, just so down to earth. You're so raw, brother. It's just Thanks, so man. real. And it's just, uh, this is, this is, this is deep shit. Um, and I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this episode for sure. Um, especially cause I know, I know 100% we have listeners that are not alcoholics and that are not drug addicts. Um, they've reached out to me just to tell me flat out, like we have runners that are just like, dude, I don't have a problem with alcohol at all. And to be honest, you know, I drink recreationally because you know, whatever, um, not yeah. that they have to explain themselves to me, but I just love what you're doing. And I love the podcast and I just love hearing these comeback stories. Cause it's just so cool hearing people turn their life around. Um, and for a couple people, it's just kind of become something that they've just listened to when they're out there running because when they're digging deep and they're hitting that pain cave and mm -hmm. you know, you know, it's, it's hard when you're, when you're trying to run a mile at like a tough pace and you want to give up because it hurts, it's hard to give up when you, when you hear, oh, well, Dave was just kicked in the stomach and thrown up against the fridge and he didn't stop fighting. Like, right. And if he can beat that, how am I? No, stop. Like use your own, stop being a bitch. Keep running, <laughs> keep running. Yeah. Like if so it's, and I think that's what a lot of people get out of this. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of content in this one too, especially for our, for our, uh, 
non-alcohol, non, non-drug uh, identifiers that can really get a lot of value out of this because a lot of people have dealt with some traumatizing childhoods. And this might even just bring a little bit of closure to some people just knowing oh, that sure. everyone knows that they're not the only one, but I think for anybody, it just, it means so much more when you hear the story. Well, and I think, I think, uh, you know, a platform like yours or mine, it kind of brings, kind of brings some attention to some of the things that people go through. I mean, oftentimes, like, this is one of the reasons why I started the podcast podcast is because everybody has a story, regardless of the story, everybody has one. And a lot of people kind of get caught up in the day-to-day things like going to work or working out just whatever it is. And they, they don't really consider what other people have gone through and they don't really think about it. And so I know like for me, that's what the case was. Like I just kind of got in the routine of just living life daily, like going to work and going about my life. But like through this podcast, I'm hearing all these different perspectives of life. And like, like yesterday we sat down and I talked to you about your story. And so I think bringing some attention to some of these stories is a, is a real good thing for, for, for just anybody to hear for community, like people to build a community and whatnot. So hashtag break the stigma, hashtag it's, break the stigma. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Break the fucking stigma, people. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't care. My God curses. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I have a potty mouth. I'm over it. Um, that's why there's. That's why the, the little E is on every one of these podcast episodes. Because I don't think I have one episode without an F-bomb. I'm okay with that. Uh, when I, it's, it's funny. <laughs> one thing, and I don't want to plug church, but like I, I had some like resentment towards going towards church. And one thing uh, pastor said to me on the first day, I loved it. He said, look, man, I'm not expecting you to be sinless. I just want you to sin less. <laughs> I said, fair, fair enough, dude. How can, like, how can you not agree with that? Like, I don't care yeah. where you stand, you know, uh, on, on whatever. And I won't make this about religion, but it's just, it's hard to disagree with that statement. Um, and that was one thing that really turned me on. Well, whether you're doing it for a religious standpoint or just to be a better person. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's where I was getting at. And I'm glad you pointed that out there, man. um, You have a really good way of redirecting things. I think you should start a podcast. (laughs) Really good. Thank you. I might take you up on that. (laughs) All right, uh, guys, check out the podcast. He's doing really, really great things. Um, You'll also be able to hear, um, he interviewed me yesterday. Like we said, that'll be available soon. Um, That'll be all over the page. Uh, quite frankly, actually, by the time you're listening to this, that episode is actually already live now that I just thought about that. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this, then you can hear my story on his podcast and that'll be a nice segue into getting rising above. And then really cool thing is that, um, you don't have to pick a podcast. That's the beautiful thing. And that's why I like working with other podcast, um, hosts, so to speak, because we can share each other's stories because like, I mean, I, I can't speak for your phone, but, um, when I go on my Spotify, it doesn't max out how many I can follow and subscribe. So it's cool. Like I can just keep going and finding different stories and hitting that little button. So it's really, really cool. You don't have to pick one or the other. You can listen to them all. Um, it's, it's really cool stuff and just keep spreading the word. Um, is there anything else you want to say to us before we let you go today, Dave? No, I think we pretty much covered it all. I just want to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share my life story with you. This is actually the first time I've shared it like with somebody else other than on my podcast. Oh, so, wow. Now I'm honored. <laughs> now you're making me blush. <laughs> hey, brother, so, it, was, it was so much fun having you on here today, though. Um, the only thing we ask on your end, just continue staying healthy, 
continue staying fit. And brother, tell us how you're doing it. All right, we'll do. One day at a time. My man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odet. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.